If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 17 this morning, verses 11 through 19. When I was a kid growing up, my family and I uh, spent a few years going to church at a a church at the time that met in uh, Robbinsdale High School. It was called Church of the Open Door. And uh, I was in my late elementary years when we attended there. My my family had just left uh, the first church that I was uh, went to as a young child, and we were looking for a new church to attend. And and uh, Church of the Open Door was a place that uh, really ministered to my family for for that season. One of the the things that I most remember about that church, however, as a kid was. Um, the worship services were, were seemingly endless. They would go on. Uh, I, I, I kid you not, they would worship for at least an hour, and that was before the sermon. And uh, if you think I'm long-winded, you should hear uh, Pastor Dave Johnson preach. I mean, that guy will go on for like 50 minutes, an hour. And, uh, you know, when you're a kid, like, you know, 8, 10-year-old kid, I mean, man, it's like, come on, are you kidding me? Like, when are we going to get on with this? But, you know, as I think back on that time, uh, I, I started realizing some things about that church experience that were really powerful, really profound. Uh, church of the Open Door back in those days was uh, sort of, uh, people had a joke, it, it, the, the, the other name for it was Church of the Open Sore. And uh, it was a church that seemed to attract a lot of wounded and broken people. And uh, there were a lot of people there that were coming out of broken relationships, a lot of people who had experienced abuse, people who were dealing with addictions, and uh, it was just a, a lot of broken people looking for the good news of Jesus, looking for that, that source of hope. Uh, when I got to seminary, I discovered that many of our, our uh, seminary professors used to describe Church of the Open Door as the hospital ship of the fleet. Uh, in other words, it was, the, it was the church that people knew they could go to for, for hope and healing when they needed that. And, and that's a pretty cool thing. But one of, the, one of my memories of, of those times of worship at Church of the Open Door, uh, in those years, Dan Adler, who we've had here to lead worship with Heart of the City, he was the worship leader back in those days. And it was just passionate, powerful worship. And, and these people who were, were desperate for hope and just broken, would come and they would worship, like I said, for, for over an hour sometimes, the worship team would just play and play and people would fall on their knees and, and would be just weeping. People would be singing praise with their arms raised to heaven just with, with tears streaming down their face. You know? And as a little kid, I, you know, I didn't understand all of that. But, but now as a, as a 42-year-old and having gone through some trials in my own life, I, I, I understand what it is to... Go to Jesus in your just pure desperation, looking for hope, looking, looking for God's grace and, and a miraculous touch. And what I've come to realize, and, and I've seen this here at Lakes Free too, some of the most passionate worship that we ever experience flows out of those who most recognize their desperate need for God. You know, when we worship God most freely, most passionately, it, it tends to be those seasons in life where we don't care what anybody else thinks. It, it's not about putting on a show. It's not about manufactured emotional experiences. It, it's just about broken and needy people recognizing that they need to fall before the feet of Jesus. And that's powerful. And this morning, we're going to look at a story from the book of Luke, a story from the experience of Jesus, where, where Jesus came upon a group of guys who were just desperate, desperate for a touch from God, 
They were desperate and broken, and they were just looking for hope. And, and, and Jesus encountered these guys, and he met them, and he transformed their lives. And, and what we're going to find in this story is, is not only the miraculous experience that these 10 individuals had, but we're also going to see how for one of them, one of them, he had a transformative experience beyond just a physical healing. God literally changed his entire life, changed his direction for eternity. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 17 together this morning. We're going to be in verses 11 through 19. And uh, let me read this for you, and then I want to come back and I want to share some lessons for us this morning, lessons from the, the leper in this story that we're going to see. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And they went, and they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. You know, this is, this is a powerful story. It's an incredible story because, you know, here we got just like 10 short verses. But this story is just packed with some profound teaching and truth for us this morning. This morning what I want to do is I want to highlight some, some lessons from the leper in this story. And I think what we're going to find is that all of us can identify with, with the 10 lepers and, and certainly the, the single leper as well. The first lesson of the leper that I want to highlight for us in our passage this morning comes from verses 11 through 13, where we find the truth that Jesus hears the cries of desperate people. Jesus hears the cries of desperate people. You know, to, to be a leper in those days in the ancient world was literally to be a living dead person. Leprosy, which is a horrible disease, a, a, a skin disease, a disfiguring disease that is caused by a bacteria. It's, uh, today we know it as Hansen's disease. In the ancient world, a whole host of skin conditions were, were actually wrapped up under the umbrella of leprosy, but, but leprosy itself was, was a devastating condition, very disfiguring. People would, would actually lose limbs as a result of it. People would have open sores, open infections all over their body. And so to be a leper in the ancient world was a very stigmatizing experience. According to the Jewish law of those days, if you were somebody who was consumed with leprosy, you were actually, uh, in a sense, an outcast from society. Lepers were required to stay at a minimum 50 yards away from any other person. Can you imagine that? Not being allowed to go within 50 yards of another person. Not only that, when they traveled, when they walked the streets, they had to yell out for any who would come across their path, unclean, unclean. Marking themselves, not only as being one who possesses devastating disease, but 
someone who was spiritually defiled, who wasn't allowed to come into the presence of God in the temple because of the unclean state of their life, being a leper. Can you imagine how tragic that would have been? And here in this story, we see these 10 lepers who, according to that old statement, misery loves company. These 10 lepers had gathered together to, to form this little community, you know, this, this little community looking for any kind of human connection that they could have because they didn't experience that anywhere else in their lives. They were, they were living dead. They were outcasts of society. They were basically just biding their time until they passed away. But you see, these lepers had heard the stories of Jesus. They had heard about this teacher who had done miraculous things. They had heard that he had even cured other lepers. And so when these lepers heard the news that Jesus was making his way towards their village, they waited outside of their village. And as they saw Jesus and his disciples coming down the path at a minimum 50 yards away, as was required by the rabbinical law at that time, these lepers cried out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And then Luke shares some of the greatest words in the whole Bible, when he saw them. When he saw them. Aren't those great words, friends? See, Jesus takes note of desperate people. Isn't that good news this morning? No matter who you are, no matter your circumstances, no matter your trials, no matter your desperation, Jesus takes note of desperate people. He sees you. He knows your plight. And Jesus stops. He stops for desperate people. I want to make two observations under this point. Number one, what we see here in the story of these 10 lepers, you can never be too far from God. And you can never be too defiled for God. These leopards were, lepers were 50 yards away from Jesus, crying out in a loud voice. Right, 50 yards, that's quite a distance. That's like, you know, it's like from here to the other side of the parking lot. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. We have no hope except for you. Jesus heard them, and he stopped. See, friends, distance is no barrier for God. Defilement is no barrier for God. There's nothing you can do, no sin you can commit, no rebellion too great for God to stop and hear the cry of a desperate person longing to come back into his presence. When I started out in ministry, I was a youth pastor for a number of years. And when I was a youth pastor at Wooddale Church, working as an intern there, we used to take an annual spring break trip down to Panama City Beach, Florida. We would take uh, 200 kids. We'd load them up in coach buses, and we'd take them down to a, a Christian camp right on the beach there in Panama City. And we'd run basically like a camp over the course of the week. We'd beach Olympics, you know, all kinds of fun activities. But we would have chapel and worship every night. And I remember one year as I was speaking for those chapel services each evening, the kids would come together in a large meeting room and, 
And I was sharing messages with these kids. About half of the kids who would come every year were non-Christians. And we would share the message of the gospel. We would share the hope of Jesus, the power of God's love to transform lives. That week there was one young lady there. Her name was Katie. And she wasn't from our church. She wasn't a believer. And, and I remember each night as I preached, she, she started the week out with just kind of this angry, disinterested look. You know, as soon as I would come up to speak, it was like she would just emotionally turn off and just not interested in hearing the message. But each night, it was interesting because her, her attitude sort of started breaking down. She started opening up. She started listening, paying more attention. Thursday night of that week in Panama City Beach, after the message, Katie came up with a couple of her friends, and Katie was just sobbing. She was just sobbing. And she said, Jason, the love of God that you talked about tonight, I could never experience that. I said, Katie, what, what do you mean? And she just started crying, and she told me how no one had ever loved her entire life. She shared that her dad had walked out on her mom when she was just a little baby. She never knew her dad. By the time she had gotten to junior high, she started sleeping around with boys, looking for any kind of emotional connection. Through her tears, she said, I've slept with so many boys, I can't even remember. She was a junior in high school at this point. She says, all I've ever wanted is to be loved, but nobody's ever loved me. And Jason, I know you say God loves me, but... If you knew all the things I've done, there's no way. There's no way God could ever love someone like me. This passage is special to me because I had been reading in my devotions just that morning the story of the ten lepers. And I shared with Katie, I said, Katie, let me tell you about ten guys in the Gospel of Luke who were distant from God. And they were spiritually defiled. They were so far from God, they, all they could do was cry out, and Jesus, have mercy on us. And as I shared the story of these ten lepers who encountered the grace of God in Jesus Christ, Katie came to realize that no distance is too great for our great and loving God. No defilement is too serious for God's love and grace to overcome. Katie, that evening, encountered the love of Jesus for the first time in her life. It's a powerful thing, friends, when you recognize the reality of God's grace. And I want to share that with you this morning because no matter where you are, you need to know very clearly that no distance is too great for God to overcome. No defilement is too great for God's grace to overcome. Jesus hears the cries of desperate people. The second observation I want to make under this first point is this. You know, friends, sometimes all we can do is cry out to Jesus in desperation. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes that's all we got. I got an email this past week from a friend here at our church. He was saying, Jason, my, my son's been in and out of rehab for the last two years. He's been to Teen Challenge, he's been to Hazelden, and he keeps falling back into his addiction. What, what, do I, what do I do, Jason? Maybe I could meet with you, and maybe you could just give me some advice. Where should I go? What should I do? 
what do you say to that? What, what am I going to say to this guy that's going to be better or different than what he's gotten through Teen Challenge or through Hazelden? So I said to this father, I said, you know what? In all honesty, I don't know what to tell you. But I said, you know what? Jesus hears the cries of desperate people. I said, if you want to come over to church, let's pray together and just cry out to Jesus. And we did that. We just said, Jesus, we need your help because we don't know what else to do. Man, I tell you what, friends, I'm so glad that we have a God who hears the cries of desperate people. The leper's cry was a cry of faith. You see, they believed that Jesus could make a difference. Do you believe that Jesus can make a difference for you? Do you believe that? These 10 lepers were so convinced that Jesus had the power to change their lives that from 50 yards away, they cried out in a loud voice, Master, have pity on us. What do you need to cry out to Jesus for today? Because I can promise you, friends, he'll hear you, and he'll stop, and he'll listen, because he loves you and he cares. He hears the cries of desperate people. The second lesson we can take away from this story of the leper this morning, some of God's best miracles often look like mistakes. Some of God's best miracles often look like mistakes. These lepers cry out to Jesus in their desperation, Master, have pity on us. And what does Jesus say? Go show yourselves to the priest. Go show ourselves to the priest. We don't need to go to the priest, Jesus. We need you to heal us. You see, for the lepers to be told to go show themselves to the priest, that was like, that was like the most absurd thing that they could have ever thought of doing. Because you didn't go to the priest for healing. You only went to the priest after you had been healed, after you had been relieved of your illness. And then you went to the priest for the priest to confirm that so that you could come back into the temple and be in fellowship with God again. And so the lepers, for them to, to think about going to the priest, why would we go to the priest? We're, we're, we're defiled, Jesus. Don't you see our skin? Don't you see our sores? Don't, don't you know this is why we're crying out to you from 50 yards away? We don't need to go to the priest. We go to the priest, he's just going to send us off again. He's just going to remind us of how pitiful we are. We don't need the priest. We need you, Jesus. But Jesus says, go, show yourselves to the priest. You see, these lepers... They believed that Jesus could do a miracle for them. They trusted Jesus. They put their hope in Jesus. And so they did what would have made absolutely no sense. They turned and they started on the way to see the priest. They trusted Jesus. They responded in faith. In spite of how absurd his command would have seemed to them, they turned and they made their way to the priest responding in faith, and as they walked, they were healed. See, friends, this is faith. It compels us to obey even when the outcome isn't clear. 
But understand this, it's not a blind faith. It's not wishful thinking. Faith is trusting that even though I can't see the outcome, the one who's leading me does. And the lepers trusted Jesus. Go show yourselves to the priest. They trusted him, and they turned, and they went, and they were healed. Very interesting, this phrase here, go show yourselves to the priest. Translated into modern English, you know what it means? Trust me. Go show yourselves to the priest. Simply means trust me. Let me ask you a question this morning, friends. How far do you think those lepers had to walk? I mean, did they turn and were they healed instantaneously? How many yards did they travel? How many feet, how many miles did they walk towards Jerusalem, towards the temple to meet the priest before they experienced God's miraculous healing? See, here's the thing. Luke doesn't tell us that. We don't know how many feet, how many yards, how many miles. And and that's the nature of trusting God. That's what it's all about. We don't always experience the miracle in, in, in the time frame that we would hope for or in the way that we would choose. God simply says, trust me. We, we've experienced this in our own life, our family. Three years ago, my wife was diagnosed with stage three cancer. You better believe, man, we prayed for miracles. God, please deliver my wife of this illness. Cure of this disease, Lord. But you know what? God sent us on a journey that included radical surgery. And we prayed, Lord, please let that be the end. Heal my wife. But God said, no, now you're going to go through six months of chemotherapy. And we prayed for a miracle. God, heal my wife. And God said, no, Jason, now your wife's going to do six more months of radiation. And we just kept praying for miracles. God, heal my wife. And you know what? We've seen God's miraculous work in my wife's life over the last three years. But you know what? She still goes for ongoing infusions. She still goes in monthly for injections. We're still praying for a miracle. And I can tell you we've experienced many miracles. But they're not always in the way that we would expect or the way that we would want. Sometimes God just says, trust me. Keep walking by faith. See, the reality is, friends, sometimes we pray and we ask God to change our circumstances, but he's more interested in using our circumstances to change us. And sometimes that's the greatest miracle of all. But it takes faith to see it. One of my favorite verses in Scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Friends, that's trust. 
That's hoping in Jesus, even when the outcome isn't clear. Some of Jesus' best miracles often look like mistakes. But we walk by faith, we trust in the Lord because we know that he is a good and faithful God who will never leave us or forsake us. (laughs) The third lesson we see here in the story of our leper, the grateful heart manifests itself in praise. Verse 15, the leper returns and throws himself at the feet of Jesus, crying out in a loud voice, thankfulness and gratitude to the Lord. You know, friends, it's interesting. Ten lepers were healed, but only one turned to give thanks and praise to Jesus. You know, it it never ceases to amaze me how many people are quick to receive God's blessing, but slow to give God praise. You ever notice that? I, I, I don't know what it is about human nature, but like we all pray for the miracle, but then when we receive God's blessing, it's like we so quickly forget all that he's done for us and we fail to return the praise. This Samaritan leper, out of all 10 of these guys who experienced the healing touch of Jesus, it was this Samaritan leper, this single man who threw himself at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. Here was a man who truly possessed a grateful heart. His faith had led to healing and his healing led him to praise his Savior. And I want you to notice how the Samaritan praised Jesus. What does Luke describe his praise as? Luke says he cried out in a loud voice. Notice this, friends. His cry of appreciation matched his cry of desperation. Just a few minutes earlier, he was crying out in desperation, Jesus, have pity on us. And now he's experienced the touch of God. And what does he do? He cries out in gratitude and thanksgiving. Jesus, Master, Lord, Savior, thank you. His cries of appreciation matched his cries of desperation. What a great example for us. You know, friends, how often do we pray for miracles yet fail to offer praise for our miracles? How often do we enjoy the gifts but fail to thank the giver? (laughs) What an incredible model of praise that we have here in this leper. Friends, do you remember to give praise to God? Have you thanked him recently for the innumerable blessings in your life? Now, I know that some of you might be thinking this morning, Jason, I know what you're saying here, but you know what? Sometimes I, I just have a hard time. I just have a hard time being grateful. I get that, man. I get that. When you're in the middle of the trials, when you're in the middle of the storm, when you're crying out in desperation, like even when you see God do good things, it's often hard to respond with joy and gratitude. I get it. But you want to know what the key is in those moments, friends? You got to rejoice. You got to rejoice. The word rejoice, it's a great word. You know what it means? It means to return to the source of your joy. To rejoice. And what is the source of our joy? It's just like this leper understood. The source of our joy is found at the feet of Jesus. When we return 
to the feet of Jesus and we remember all that God has done for us, his faithfulness to us, his blessings. When we rejoice, when we return to the source of our joy, it opens up an attitude of gratitude that begins to flow out of our lives because we recognize the blessings and faithfulness of our great God. You know, for me, one of my favorite secrets, I'll, I'll let you in on, you know, when, when I'm in those days where it's just like hard to, hard to be thankful, hard to offer gratitude and praise, I need to just step back. I need to rejoice. For me, one of the best things to do, I go to my word, I go to the Bible, I open up the book of Psalms. And I look up the book of Psalms. Most of your Bibles, they have headings in there, a psalm of praise, a psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm of rejoicing, right? Go to those psalms and meditate on those psalms. Let scripture guide you back to the feet of Jesus. Return to your source of joy. Look look at Psalm 103, for example. Just this week, I was meditating on this. What a a great praise to the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's what rejoicing is all about, friends. When you have those days when it's hard to be grateful, when it's hard to remember what do I have to be thankful for, go back to the word. Return to the source of your joy. Let the truths of Scripture remind you of all that God has done for you. And let that be your inspiration for rejoicing, for thanksgiving, for gratitude. Lesson number four this morning from our leper salvation is found at the feet of Jesus. Salvation is found at the feet of Jesus. Verse 19, Jesus says to this leper who falls at his feet, your faith has made you well. Friends, in the Greek, that word, that phrase, your faith has made you well, can literally be translated to your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. This leper had experienced physical healing, but now in humbling himself before Jesus, one out of the ten who threw himself at the feet of Jesus, he received an even greater miracle. He was restored to a right relationship with God for all eternity. See, friends, the lesson here is this. A lot of people, are, a lot of people in our world are quick and are willing to cry out to Jesus. But not everyone is willing to fall at the feet of Jesus. And there's a big difference there. You see, Jesus doesn't just want to be your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to save you out of your desperation and your defilement but he wants you to fall at his feet and acknowledge him as Lord of your life. See, the salvation and the lordship that Jesus offers are two sides of the same coin. 
A lot of people want Jesus the Savior, but they don't want Jesus the Lord. It would be like if you were to go up to the gas station after church this morning and you, you bought a soda or something, and when the guy gives you change, he gives you a quarter back, and you look at the quarter, and it's only got one side. It's only got the head. You know, George Washington, you're like, well, what is this? The other side's blank. The guy's like, well, that's your quarter. That's your change. That's not a quarter. What, what do you mean that's a quarter? That's not a quarter. Give me a real quarter. I don't want a fake quarter. See, a real quarter has two sides. Just like the real walk with the Lord has two sides. We experience the salvation of Jesus, but we also fall at his feet acknowledging him as our Lord, as our master. And all 10 of these lepers in our story experienced the physical healing, but only one of them experienced the ultimate healing. And you see, friends, please understand this. This is crucial for us to understand this morning. You can experience God's work of grace in your life and yet fall short of receiving salvation. What a tragic thing that is. A few chapters earlier in our study in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 8, Jesus shared the parable of the seeds and the soils. You remember the, the, the part of the, the seed that fell on rocky soil, Luke 8, 13? Those on the rock, the seed on the rock, are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. See, there's a lot of people in our world, they hear the message of the gospel, they respond to the message of the gospel initially, but then... The rocky soil, the trials, the hardships, the temptations of our world end up shriveling up that, that plant that's just new to, new to life. But there's other seed that fall, falls on good soil, Luke eight fifteen. The seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by preserving, persevering, produce a crop. See, friends, this leper, he was like the seed that fell on good soil. The other nine, they were like the seed that fell on the rocky soil. They all experienced the grace of God in their lives, but for only one of them did that grace take root and produce a crop of faith. And so as we look at these two realities, friends, I want to encourage us, we need to pursue the option of being the seed that falls on the good soil. We need to be that seed that, that takes root and begins to grow and produce faith and righteousness in our lives. And, and how do we do that, friends? That's the key. How do we assure that we'll persevere and produce a crop of faith? Well, Jesus gives us another hint in John 15. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. See, friends, the key is to remain in Jesus. The key to salvation and to sanctification is to stay ever-present at the feet of Jesus. Salvation and life and growth are all found at the feet of Jesus. Friends, is that the desire of your heart today? Do you long to be ever-present at the feet of Jesus? Man, that's what I want. 
I want, I want my life to be so marked by, by love and joy and, and, and a desire to be at the feet of Jesus. I, I want to be so close to Jesus' feet. I want people to mistake me for his podiatrist. You know what I'm saying? Man, Jesus, help us to remain ever present at your feet. Lastly this morning, lesson number five, God has a habit of turning zeros into heroes. Man, I love this. This story is so good. Some of my favorite TV shows are those home fixer-upper shows, you know? Uh, fixer-upper, extreme home makeover, yard crashers. I, I love how they go into these places, and they, these places just look like, you know, pits sometimes. They're just disasters. And these guys come in, and they do these miraculous works of transformation, you know, brand new houses, brand new yards, landscapes. Friends, Jesus is in the transformation business too. But he's in the business of radically transforming people's lives. I want you to consider this for a minute, right? Hear the story, Luke 17. Five minutes before this leper experienced this healing, nobody in the world could have cared less about this leper. And now, here we are, 2,000 years later, and God is still using the testimony of this leper to change lives for eternity. God makes a habit of taking zeros and turning them into heroes. That's just what God does. And friends, if you don't believe it, I mean, just look around this room this morning. Look who's sitting around you this morning. Do you realize who you're sitting around today? I mean, we've got in our church, we've got adulterers who have become ambassadors. We've got drug dealers who are now Jesus pushers. We've got party animals who are now gospel beasts. We've got self-righteous legalists who are now selflessly serving the broken. We've got people who used to despair life who now live to declare life in Jesus. Friends, that's what Jesus does. He transforms lives. He takes zeros and he turns them into heroes and he does that by his grace when we trust in him and put our faith and hope in him. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Friends, don't ever doubt the transformative power of God's grace. Just like Jesus took this leper, someone who was a defiled outcast, someone who nobody in the world would have cared less about and turned him into a hero who is still transforming lives today through his testimony. God is doing that every day, friends. Our church is filled with people like that. And I'm going to tell you, you can be that kind of person today too. I don't care who you are. I don't care how far from God you are. I don't care how spiritually defiled you are. If you come to church as a zero, you can leave as a hero because Jesus can transform your life. He does it through the power of his grace. When we cry out in desperation, he stops, he hears us, he asks us to trust him, and when we trust him, walking by faith, and when we throw our feet at the, uh, throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus, God does miraculous transformative work. He's still in that transformative business today, friends. Trust him, believe in him, hope in him. Let me ask you this. Who do you most look forward to meeting when you get to heaven one day? Jesus, 
Peter, Paul, Noah, you know. We often think of all these great heroes of the faith that we're looking forward to meeting. Yeah, I was thinking this week, man, I can't, I can't wait to talk to the Apostle Paul. You know, I just want to pick the guy's brain, hear some of his story, you know, what was going on behind the scenes, you know, some of those stories in the book of Acts. You want to know what I think is going to happen? I'm going to go find Paul. Paul's going to be like, dude, dude, forget about me. You know who you got to meet? You got to meet this leper. You got to meet this guy from Luke 17. This is the guy you got to meet. He cried out in desperation. He had no other hope in this world other than Jesus. And God transformed his life. That's the guy you want to meet. God, give us the faith of this leper. Help us learn the lessons of this leper. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this powerful passage. And I just pray, Jesus, that you would use the truths in this passage to touch our hearts this morning. Remind us of your great love for desperate people. Remind us, Lord, of the power that you possess to touch lives, to transform lives, to bring hope and healing and restoration, Lord, where there's nothing but desperation. May we cry out in faith, Lord. And Lord, may we always remember to praise you and give you thanks for your great love and faithfulness to us. Jesus, if there's anybody here this morning who, who can identify with these lepers in this story, Lord, I, I just pray that maybe even right now they would just cry out to you and just say, Jesus, you're my only hope. I need you this morning. God, may they encounter you. May they experience your grace and your love and your mercy. Jesus, we thank you for being a good and faithful God. May we always give you all the honor and glory and praise that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.